welcome everyone to our service today. If you're either a, a guest in person or online, we're glad that you've uh, you're here or have tuned in. So I'm I'm old enough to have remembered a lot of things that have gone ab uh, obsolete. Uh, so for instance, some of you probably know what these are. I I have a memory of driving down the road and listening to some of my favorite music in my cassette player in my car. Uh, prior to that, I'm, I'm old enough to remember 8-track tape players. <laughs> Many of you in the room don't remember 8-track tape. Some of you do. But these are obsolete because uh, we eventually went to CDs, and CDs in many ways are now obsolete, and we get most of our music, we download it, uh, we listen, it, listen to it through Spotify or maybe some other, um, some other website. We can kind of listen to all the music that we want, and so these are now obsolete. Um, I remember uh, when I was growing up how that you needed to make a phone call, and so you would, you would find a telephone booth, and they were all over uh, large cities. And so you, you could just go into that phone booth and make a call. But now we have these, have cell phones, and we no longer need uh, phone booths. They've, they've really become obsolete in, in many ways. And I still remember when I used to travel, and we would have to utilize these. We would have to get these maps out, and man, we would look at these maps, and these maps, and that you're never able to get them back together like you want them after you've opened them up. So I'll put that map right down there. Uh, but now we don't need maps, right? Because we have GPS systems. And we can just get on our phone, and man, we can, we can uh, go wherever we want to go. Some of us have a hard time driving to the grocery store without, we don't know how to get there because we need to put it on our, put it on our GPS. Things, things in time become obsolete. Today, the Hebrew writer is gonna tell us about something that's obsolete. And so in Hebrews chapter eight, and we'll put this on the screen, Verse 13, it says, by calling this covenant new, he's made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Today, we're going to talk about this amazing new covenant. And, and because we're now, we now have this new covenant, the old covenant is obsolete. Now, when you hear the word covenant, maybe, maybe several big ideas come to your mind when you think of a covenant, maybe you think of, of buying a house. Uh, I remember the first time we bought a home, and I was sitting with my realtor, my wife, and we had a stack of papers that she was going over, and she was doing her best to explain what every paper I would sign meant. But I didn't really know if I was signing away my, you know, older two children to her or not. I mean, I, I didn't really know. I was just signing these documents, and she was describing it for me. I was making an agreement. I was entering into a covenant to buy that house. I remember I bought my first house, and I literally had a panic attack. And so I said in the middle of that, uh, of the signing of the papers, I said to my wife, Let, let's, let's step out. Hold on for a second. Let's step out for just a moment. We stepped out, and I was like, man, we, we're making this commitment for 30 years. We're getting ready to sign this document saying I'm going to be responsible every month for the next 30 years. That was, that was a heavy thing in my mind. Others when you, of you, when you think of a covenant, maybe you think of covenants you sign uh, in your neighborhood. Some of you live in neighborhoods that have covenants and agreements, and you've signed this covenant, and, 
as a result of that, you know, you can only paint your house certain colors or maybe, you know, your, your fence has to be a certain kind of or style of fence. I mean, all, all, there's all sorts of agreements. Others of you, when you think of a covenant, you think of the marriage covenant. You think of that moment when, when you stood in the back maybe with your dad and your dad walked you down front and you stood and, and you made an agreement with, with that man in front of in front of God and and in front of family and friends to love, honor, and cherish one another as long as you both shall live. We understand something about covenants. We know that that a covenant is basically an agreement. You may not know, but the Bible is filled with all sorts of covenants. And so in the Old Testament, we read about the covenant God made with Noah. Or in Genesis chapter 15, we read about the the covenant that God made with Abraham. But the Hebrew preacher, as he's preaching this sermon today that we call the book of Hebrews, he's going to refer back to the Mosaic covenant, that agreement that God made between Moses and the, and the people of God. And, and we're going to learn something about that old covenant and something about this new covenant that he's made with us. Now, to answer the question that maybe might be on your mind, wh- why do we need a new covenant? In order to answer that question, I want us to, um, to go to the book of Jeremiah. Because, you see, that's what, that's what the Hebrew preacher does. The Hebrew preacher, he uses the prophet Jeremiah to help them understand something about not only the old covenant, but also the new covenant. And so in Jeremiah, for the first 30 chapters of the book of Jeremiah, one of the things that God is saying through the prophet, you have broken the covenant. And in Jeremiah chapter 11, listen to what he says. Hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant. Listen to my voice and do all that I command you, so you shall be my people and I shall be your God. But the people of God, they they couldn't keep the covenant. And so the Lord says to them through the prophet in Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 1, these very strong words, even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to the people. Send them away from my presence. God is telling his people, the people that he's loved, that you have broken the covenant. And this really is Jeremiah's message during his day. But understand, there were some other prophets living, living during this time who had a much different message. There were other prophets who were saying about Jeremiah, don't listen to him. He's out of step with the times. I mean, God is good. God is loving. Judgment is not coming. God will never destroy his temple. And Jeremiah says, I've got some bad news for you. You see, judgment is coming. And God is going to allow his temple to be destroyed and understand we're going to go into captivity for 70 years. I don't have to tell you that this was not a popular message. 
that the people of Jeremiah's day were not inviting Jeremiah to be part of their, you know, college lecture program. Uh, They were not inviting Jeremiah to be a guest speaker on their Wednesday night summer series program. Uh, Jeremiah was not in demand as a speaker. No No one wanted to hear from this bad news preacher. And yet Jeremiah proclaimed the word that God had told him to preach. And finally, Jeremiah is discouraged. Finally, Jeremiah himself is distraught. He says this to the Lord. He said, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. No one wants to preach a message where everybody's going to mock you. Yet that's how Jeremiah felt. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his name or his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a burning fire, like a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Even though Jeremiah wanted to stop proclaiming the message, he said, I I can't do it. This message is is from God. It's it's too important. And even though the message brought him reproach and insult all day long, it's the message that God gave him. He could not stop proclaiming it. And over and over again through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, you have broken my covenant. And when a covenant has been broken, there no longer exists a covenant. I mean, why does, a, why does a bank foreclose on a house? Because the covenant has been broken. The person can't say a year later, well, I'm going to start now and make my payments as though nothing happened. No, the covenant, the agreement, it's broken, it's over. But God does something really quite amazing for Jeremiah. Jeremiah has this message that's hard to proclaim and And the people have a hard time hearing it. But what God does for Jeremiah is he gives him a glimpse into the future. He says, I I want you to know about this new covenant that I'm going to give, make with my people. And this is what the Hebrew preacher picks up on. The Hebrew preacher, remember, is writing to a tired, discouraged church, a church that's about ready to give up, a church that's about ready to turn back and, and go back to what they'd known previously. I mean, they're walking by the temple in Jerusalem. They're, you know, they're, they're watching as they're making sacrifices, and they're thinking to themselves, well, maybe we'll just go back to that old way of living. And the Hebrew preacher says, I want to tell you about Jeremiah. I want to tell you about this new covenant that we now are living under, and it's a far better covenant based on better promises. We understand the problem with the first covenant was not, not the agreement itself, it was the people. They simply could not keep it. And instead of God writing his people off and saying, I'm sorry you did not hold up your end of the bargain, I'm, I'm sorry you did not keep the covenant, therefore the deal is off. Instead of doing that, what God does is he makes a new agreement with them, a wonderful agreement. And it's the agreement that we live under, live under. And you're probably wondering, well, how is this covenant better? Well, I would suggest a number of key reasons. I would suggest, first of all, it's better because it, it contains internal power. 
Look at the first part of, of verse 10, Hebrews 8. And the preacher, quoting Jeremiah 31, says, This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. The old covenant was written on tablets of stone. Think about the contrast between these two covenants. We'll put it on the screen now. The old covenant, it's about laws written in stone. The new covenant, it's laws written in our hearts and minds. You see, the first covenant, with that covenant, there was no internal power to live it out. The people under the first covenant, oh, they, they had a high, they valued highly the law. Uh, they valued highly, um, you know, the, the word. And so they, they memorized the word, they internalized the word, uh, they loved God. And, and in the Old Testament, we read a lot of passages of Scripture that point to the importance of memorizing and internalizing the word. Passages like, like Psalm 1 or Psalm 119. I'm speaking to some moms and dads here, and I, I want to tell you one of the most important things you can do for your kids is you can help your kids learn memorize the Word. Find some key verses and, and help those words become part of, of their heart. Help them to memorize them. That is powerful, and that is important. But understand, we need power beyond ourselves to internalize the Word so that this word sinks into our hearts in the deepest places. This is exactly what God says to another Old Testament prophet, the prophet Ezekiel. He says to Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone, from you, your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. While Bible memorization and meditation is needed, is important, we, we need something really even more. We need something more radical. And this passage points to what's needed. You see, we need a spiritual heart operation. We need a new heart. Uh, you may know that the first doctor ever to perform a heart transplant surgery is a South African doctor by the name of Dr. Christian Barnard. And Dr. Barnard was talking to one of his previous patients. I think this was his third patient he was having a conversation with. He was a dentist by the name of Philip Blayberg. And Dr. Barnard asked Blayberg, he said, would you like to see your old heart? And Blayberg thought about it a moment and said, I, I think I would. I, I wonder how would you would answer that question if you got a new heart. Would you like to see the old heart? He said he would, and so Dr. Barnard went over to the cabinet and unlocked the cabinet, and he took out a glass jar, and inside that glass jar was Mr. Blayberg's old heart, and he handed him his old heart. I know this sounds creepy, but it is a true story. And he, he handed Blayberg his old heart, and he looked at that heart and thought about it for a, a moment, and then he spoke. And Blayberg, he said, so this is my old heart that's caused me so much trouble. 
couldn't help but think the same is true for us. What gets us in trouble is that old heart. But understand, in the new covenant, God, he gives us a new heart. And so the old covenant, the old agreement is better because now we have this internal power. Now we have the Spirit of God working within us so that we might keep and live by this new covenant. But there's something else about the new covenant that makes it far better. It's about a personal relationship. Really, when you think about it, there's a a logical progression here. Since the law under this new covenant is not written on stone, but it's written on our hearts, it will be more personal and more relational. In the latter part of verse 10 and verse 11, uh, Nehemiah says, I will be their God, and they will, uh, uh, the Hebrew preacher says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor and say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the leadest, least of them to the greatest. Now, we may wonder what this means exactly. And let me just got to unpack this just a little bit so you might understand it. When you see the phrase, I will be their God and they will be my people, you find that all through the Old Testament. And that's really God's, God's vision for his people. He, he wants them to, um, to be his people and have a close relationship with them. But understand, in the, the Old Covenant, this was fulfilled only in some of the hearers for this reason. The Old Covenant or the Mosaic Covenant, was entered into corporately as a nation. Many did not know God in a personal way. The boys were circumcised when they were babies, so they had the sign of the covenant, but that was no guarantee that they would come to know God and love God and serve Him. But, but in the New Covenant, it's different. We enter into this covenant, all of us do personally as believers. If you are in Christ, you have taken the step of faith. You've confessed your faith in Jesus. You've been baptized in Jesus' name. And you come to know the Lord. And so we don't have to tell one another, well, know the Lord, know the Lord, because we already know the Lord. And so we experience eternal life. John, uh, the, John in John chapter 17 and verse 3 tells us that now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Under the new covenant, through Jesus, we can know the Lord. I know this idea of a personal relationship with the Lord is kind of overdone in religious circles. We hear that a lot. And yet, under the new covenant, quite honestly, it is true. We can know God in a personal way. We're able to call out to God, Abba. That's, a, that's an Aramaic word that literally means Papa or Daddy. And so all through the Hebrew preacher's sermon, we've seen he's emphasizing this fact that that now because of Jesus, now because we have this new agreement, this new covenant, we can come boldly before the throne of grace and mercy and find help in time of need. And when you come to know the Lord, you'll want to know him even more deeply. Here's the Apostle Paul. He had this intimate, close relationship with God. I mean, he met Jesus uh, in this... uh, mystical kind of way. And it was Paul who said, I I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Well, what is he saying? He's saying, I want to know Jesus even more. 
There's one final thing about this new, this new covenant that makes it better. And, and it's a covenant that offers total forgiveness. Verse 12, the Hebrew preacher says, For I will forgive their wickedness. Again, he's quoting Jeremiah 31. And this is what God promised the people. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God forgives and God chooses to forget. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4 and following, we're told that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The high priest would go in and offer a sacrifice every year on the Day of Atonement into that most holy place, but this was really just an annual reminder of sins. But in the new covenant, we're totally forgiven of our sins. When the Levitical priest went into the most holy place, he would make sacrifice for the sins of the people, and he would do that one year, and then the next year, and then the next year, and then the next year, year after year after year. It's kind of like paying the minimum balance each month on your credit card. It just, it just gets us by until the next debt is owed, and that's how it was under that old agreement. But now, in the new covenant, Jesus went to the cross, took our place, took our sins, and what does he say on the cross? It is finished. What does he mean? I've paid the price. So now, under the new covenant, we can have total forgiveness. You see, the old covenant, it brought remembrance of sins every year. But the new covenant, it brings complete remission of our sins. But, but there's often a problem. See, here's, here's how we like to live. We, we, we embrace the new covenant and, and all of the grace there for forgiveness of our sins. We embrace the new covenant for salvation, but then we, we live like we're under the old covenant for sanctification. We embrace grace by faith, and our sins are forgiven, and then suddenly we, we live as our, in our Christian lives as if it's all about works. But we do not become holy by trying to obey the law in our own power. It is by yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And so this new covenant, is, it is internal. God gives us this new heart. He gives us new power to keep it. It is personal. Through Jesus, we have an, an intimate relationship with God, and it is total. You can be completely forgiven. Isn't that good news? You can be completely forgiven. But here's the problem. Are a lot of us are like this person on my left, your right on the screen, trying to walk on a balance beam. That's how we think of our Christian experience. We get up on the balance beam, and we try our dead level best to stay up there. I mean, you've seen the Olympics. You've seen these beautiful athletes and how they'll get up on the balance beam. And they make it look easy, but you and I know it is not easy. And they're up on that balance beam, and they're tra you're spiritually, you're trying to live for God. That's an Old Testament perspective. And you're trying to live for God and do enough works and do enough good things and say no to enough things, and finally you slip off the balance beam. And then you think, well, i got to get back up on that balance beam. And you get back up on that balance beam, and you give it another whirl. And you try your best, and you try to live, and but things don't work out, and you fall off the balance beam. And you do that repeatedly, and it is wearying. And some of you think, well, that's the, the analogy of what it means to be a Christian. And I want to say that is Old Testament thinking. That is Old Covenant thinking. It 
cannot keep up our end of the agreement. But the better analogy is the one on the, the other side. And sc- put the screen back up one more time if you would. There you go. Is the one on the other side where you see that flowing uh, stream. And so the better analogy is we w- as we walk in the stream, oh, yeah, our feet become muddy sometimes. But we're as we keep walking, keep moving, that, that water flows and that water cleanses our feet. Sounds a lot like 1 John 1 where, where John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. You've been in church long enough to know that, that cleanse us, it's a continual action verb. It's, he continually cleanses us. See, walking in the light does not mean walking in sinless perfection. He already told us if we say that we do not sin, we lie and deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. To walk in the light, to walk in the stream of grace is a commitment to do what's right. And that's really what it means to be a part of that new covenant. Here's the best way I know to describe the new covenant. It's a covenant that God makes with Jesus. And then interestingly, he lets us in on the agreement. And God does something amazing. God keeps both sides of the agreement. He fulfills the demands that he places on us through Jesus. You see, Jesus did not fail. We have fallen short of God's glory. We cannot keep the law perfectly, but Jesus kept the law perfectly. And then God does something else. God rewards us for meeting the demand, even though we could not keep it perfectly. Jesus did. It's an amazing covenant. And what does God ask of us? Here's what God asks of us. He asks that we will trust Him. And we're saved in the same way that we're to live. We're saved by grace through faith. We receive this beautiful gift that God offers. It's a gift. It is by grace. And we respond in faith as evidenced in our repenting of our sins and being baptized in Jesus' name. And then from that day forward, from that day forward, we're to live under this new agreement, to live by faith, to trust Him, knowing that as we trust the Lord and we live with this confessional spirit, that the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from all sin.